walk-up music this time. That's okay. Um, so, Luke, can you put the chorus of All Hail King Jesus back up there? Um, I've never thought about this verse in the sense of Advent, um, but this morning, this, like this to me was like the perfect Advent worship song. Um, all of who Jesus is, is right there. And that's why we're, we're starting this Advent season and why we celebrate Christmas. Um, so you can, you can get back out of that, Luke. I just wanted us to read that one more time because that, 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 that hit me this morning. That was really good. Um, so last week, Will said that we're going to preach this month with the kids' curriculum. And he, I, I love when Will does this, and I ribbed him about it too. He's like, hey, we're going to do this, and it's going to be probably more difficult, so Carrie's going to preach next Sunday. <laughs> so that's okay. It, it worked out great. Uh, you know how God always does these kinds of things to, to just love on us. Will had a, if you guys didn't know, Will had kind of a stressful Sunday last week. Uh, leading worship at the last minute and also preaching so God had that designed so he could have some rest this week um, so I'm glad to be a part of that um, so uh, the passage we have today is what we talked about in the kids story but before we get to that uh, I gotta we gotta start Advent with a story about Kyle I didn't I didn't run this by Kyle but it's nothing bad so no we didn't we you weren't here before church started so last night Y'all know Kyle and I work together, or if you don't, we do. We work in the same office, and we had our office Christmas party last night, and we were uh, sitting, Kara and I were sitting across the table from Kyle and Katie, and Katie is telling stories about Kyle, and we're having a good time and laughing, and Kyle says, oh, the secrets are coming out, you know, and I looked at him, I was like, they're not secrets, we all, none of us are surprised by these stories, and like it, uh, right after we left, we're walking out to the car, and that hit me that, like, I know Kyle. And those sitting around know Kyle, and we're laughing about these stories about Kyle, and they don't surprise us because we know Kyle. But these stories give us more enjoyment when we're with Kyle, and they, they help us to know more of who Kyle is. They don't surprise us. That's, we know that that's something Kyle would do. I'm not sharing any of the stories. But it, it struck me that that's how, that's how life should be with Jesus. When we hear stories of who Jesus is, it shouldn't surprise us. When we're reading Advent, this story that we've heard many times... Lizzie, I'm going to move your shoes real quick. The story that we've heard so many times about Gabriel visiting Zechariah, it shouldn't surprise us, but we should be in there looking for more things that God wants to reveal us about who he is, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to show us who he is. So, is there nothing bad, Kyle? But it just, it struck me last night that when we hear stories about who God is and we dive into those things, they give us more enjoyment and they give us more reason to love who God is. Um, so we are diving into Advent. This is something I've never preached. I, uh, I, when I was growing up, I didn't go to church that often when I was younger. Um, I got saved in junior high ish, I went to a Baptist church, Advent was never mentioned. I don't know about most of you, but Advent was something that I, I heard that kind of stuff, but I didn't really know what it was. 
I knew there was little calendars. Maybe you opened a door or had something, but I, I didn't really understand it. So God has kind of done a lot in me over the last you know, couple of decades to understand what Advent is, and it's the celebration of the coming of Christ. So we're getting to that. So I really hope that as you guys are preparing for Christmas, you're incorporating that celebration and those stories of who God is so we can celebrate who he is and know more about him. Um, because Advent is a time when we prepare for Jesus' coming. Um, I, I want to make sure that we understand that. That Advent is not uh, Christmassy things, it's not wreaths and trees and all that kind of stuff. Those are things that we use to celebrate, but it is a time when we really focus on Jesus' coming to the world. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made his grand entrance onto the world. Before that, he sent some messengers uh, out. We're only going to talk about one of those, and then uh, we're just going to explode. I have so many scriptures for today, and I was kind of struggling with getting that many scriptures in. And then this morning, in one of the devotions I read, God, God gave me a word that said, all scripture is God-breathed. So like, hey, it's, it's good. Put it all in there. Um, so after we read this story, we're going to kind of step back and look big picture and hopefully see that this one story is just a tree in the forest of God's plan of how he wants to uh, reveal who he is and how we can celebrate him. So let's uh, read. Open your Bibles, if you will, to me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 25, or if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, thanks, Luke, for filling in back there on it. All right, so here we go. Luke 1, 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things took, take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. 
He was making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor on these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Um, I am not going to dive really hard into this. Um, specifically with what all happened, Will preached a sermon on this about nine months ago, and it is very good on this specific thing. Um, so we're going to step back. If you've been paying attention for the last nine months, you would know that Luke's job or what he set out to do in writing his gospel is to show everybody that Jesus was the person to come and flip the world upside down, to show who Jesus really is, to show um, that all of the things that have been upside down need to be put right again, and Jesus was the one to do it. He came to show us that we were not meant to spend our life shuffling through religious duty, and you can spell that D-U-T-Y or D-O-O-D-I-E, or both ways, however you want to spell it. But we're not supposed to go through that. God's plan was that we would know him and that we would make him known so that others could know him, right? Because that's what he wants. So in preparation for Jesus' arrival, Gabriel came to tell Zechariah that God was about to do something awesome and that Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to be a part of it. He didn't come in and ask. Gabriel said, hey, this is about to happen. So let's go, oh, I'm sorry. There was one more thing that I really wanted to touch on in this. In all of this section that Will did an amazing job picking apart, um, that we could do some more, but I feel like God's got us going somewhere else. The crux that I got out of this that I really want to hit on before we jump away is God chooses unlikely people in un, uh, to join him in unlikely ways as he reveals himself to the world. Zechariah and Elizabeth they were old, they were, she, Elizabeth was barren, that was enough for the Jewish people to put them out. That was like a curse for them not to have children. So God came in in this unlikely way to show what he wanted to do. So we're reading this story, we know that, you know, this is the story of John's birth, we know that Jesus is about to come, so we're like right near the crescendo. We're right about to get to the climax of like the awesome part of the movie or whatever, right? We're, we're leading up to that. But before we do that, we're going to Tarantino it and go back to the beginning. All right? So here we are at the crux. We're going to go back to the beginning. So Because I want to know, or I want us to know, why was it so amazing that Gabriel came to Zechariah and told him what was about to happen? Like, why was that such a big deal? Why was John's birth and his ministry after, why was that something that needed to be heralded? Why was that brought in in this way? Which leads to my first point, is that Jesus was God's plan before the beginning of all things. Before the beginning of everything. So turn, if you will, with me in your Bible, or it'll be on the screen, to the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. So, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm sorry, and 1-2. So, 1-1 and 1-2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So, in the beginning God created, in the beginning of what? Like, let's, let's really pick it apart. I might be asking some questions that you think are silly, but I want us to really find out why this is so important. So, the beginning of everything, as far back as we can comprehend, God was before that, and God created that. So, God created everything, and He was before everything, all right? All the way back, the very beginning, God was before that. So, we understand what beginning means. But now, who is God? Why, why is this important near the, the, the climax of the story? Why is it important that God created, and why is it important that God is sending messengers? If you want to know who God is, let's read everything between all right, let's go from Genesis 1-1 to Luke 1 if we want to. We're not going to do that this morning, but that, that's how we know who God is. We don't know anything before creation, so if we want to know who God is, we have to read history to know how God uh, interacted with his people. So if you read on in Genesis, you find out God didn't only create everything and he set rules for how, and boundaries for how things was, were supposed to work. He's an integral part of every story all the way through. So after the fall, after Adam and Eve sin, um, God tells them what the consequences of their sin is going to be, how, what's going to happen because of their disobedience. And we see those consequences in the lives of uh, the story of Cain and Abel, which Will preached about last week. And then on and on, we continue to see the consequences until God comes and floods the earth in Noah's time, and then God promises Noah that he's never going to do that again, and we go on to Abraham, and God promises to Abraham what he wants to do. He says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of my people. You're going to be a father of everything in that earth, every, of all of my people. Like every, There's going to be so many people. And that's another story where Abraham and his wife were old and uh, well along in years. And that there was some conflict with that. But we're going to skip that. <laughs> because the realization of that promise comes with Jacob and all of his sons and how they get to Egypt. And then God builds a mighty nation out of them in Egypt while they're in slavery. And then there's Moses. Moses comes and God leads them out through Moses into the promised land, which they have to wait for a long time to get to. But they get there. And while they're in the promised land, God destroys their enemies and he gives them a home. And again, he sets boundaries and rules for how he wants them to act. And they succeed in following what he wants to do. And then they fail. And then they succeed. And then they fail. And God sends prophets and people to speak for him. To communicate to his people what he wants them to be and how he wants them uh, to act in the world. And what he's going to do in the future for them. And they listen and then they don't. And they listen and they don't. And there's just all this roller coaster of up and down. But it's all God revealing himself to his people. And it's God telling us who he is. So if we go back and read Genesis, in the beginning God created, that's, well, who is God? How is, how, why is it important that he created? Because he loves us. And all of history is his actions telling us who he is and providing for his people and loving on them and giving them things that are good for them. So God was before, the God who was before everything has spent all of history since creation revealing himself to his people so that, they, so that we would know him. So, God created. Who is God? Well, we have this whole history to tell us who he is and how he loves us. And why did he do all of these things? 
because he wants us to know him. So he reveals himself to us so that we can know him, so that we can have stories, so that we can know who he is and love him more and celebrate who he is. But he also gave his people glimpses of what he was going to do in the future. The Old Testament also, uh, besides all these stories of who God is and how he relates, he also gives prophecies about what's going to happen in the future. And there are so many of those in the Old Testament. I don't know how many Will's going to touch on as we read the Christmas story. I went and looked. I was like, man, it would be cool to have a, like a chart that shows Old Testament prophecies and then their fulfillment in the New Testament. And it was way too big. Like what I found, it was way too many for me to put on a slide or five. It was a lot. Um, there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that just in the New Testament have been fulfilled. And time's not done. God's not done. Creation is still here. There's still so much. So by the time that we get to where Zechariah is in our story today, there's already so many things that God has said, and Zechariah would have known these things, right? He was a priest. That was his job, to study these things. So when Gabriel comes and tells him what's about to happen, like light bulbs should be going off. He should be getting all this stuff. So I want to read just one of them. But like I said, there was a lot, and I didn't want to put all of Scripture in here. So we're going to read a, a passage out of Isaiah that really is God speaking through Isaiah. I'd mentioned the prophets. God is communicating to his people through Isaiah what Jesus is going to be like and what Jesus' kingdom is going to be like. So if you will, turn with me to Isaiah 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. I don't know about you guys, but I just skipped like an inch and a half in my Bible. Well, like I said, there's a whole lot in there. Go read it. It's awesome. Okay, so this is Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. Again, we're trying to, uh, let's, we're imagining why did Gabriel come? Why is it so important that he's telling what's about to happen and it's such a big deal? So we're going back and seeing all the things that God said, like God left all these clues, all these glimpses for what's about to happen because God wants us to know. He wants us to know him, and he wants us to know what he's doing. So Isaiah 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. All right, I want to stop right there. Who is Jesse? Like, again, we're diving into all these things, and there's so many names and stuff we could spend forever chasing rabbit holes. Uh, going down rabbit holes, excuse me. But there's, there's so much in here. So real quick, Jesse, if you don't know, Jesse was David's dad. You can read through the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. And then in Samuel, kind of explains how that is. David is the, the, the great king that comes in the Old Testament, wrote most of the Psalms. So Jesse is his dad. And Jesus comes through the line of Jesse. The genealogies in Matthew and Luke, both of them point out how Jesus goes back to David and Jesse and then beyond. So Jesse was somebody that they would have known. Great line. It's telling us how Jesus is going to be born and who he's going to come from. So a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That sounds familiar. John 15, we, we, we go through that all the time um, about branches and fruit. So the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his, he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. 
but he will judge the, the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. So I want to stop right there. So those five verses are describing what Jesus is going to be like. And if you read this and then go read Luke and those passages, this, all of that goes together. All of these things that's describing what Jesus is going to be like way before Jesus showed up on the scene, way before Gabriel talked to Zechariah. This was not like some random thing. This was God's plan in the making. So we know that, I mean, talking about him judging and seeing the heart, not just what he sees with his eyes or what he hears. So let's read the rest. Six through nine talks about the kingdom of God. So the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with the water. So I've always read this passage as talking about heaven. We get to heaven, and there's going to be like cats and dogs playing together and all this kind of stuff, right? Prey and predator together. The, the discussion of the infant with the cobra. If we go again way back to Genesis and the serpent, and God tells the serpent, you're going to strike his heel, he's going to strike your head. And how that's prophesying how Jesus will destroy death and destroy Satan. This is it again. Like there, there will be no death, no sin in Jesus' kingdom. All of those things that flip the world upside down, Jesus' kingdom is going to flip those right side up. But the, one of the commentaries in this great Bible that you guys gave me, which is awesome, talked about this not talking so much about heaven, but yes, heaven, because there will be no death, no sin, no sorrow, but this as a description of the church and how we should be. Specifically, I want to, let's look at, let's read verse 6 again. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatted calf will be together and a child will lead them. That is a description of who we are. That is a description of where God wants us to be as a kingdom in that sin is an equalizer. We all have sin. There is no wolf and lamb. There is no guilty and innocent. All of us are the same. We're all the same. In God's kingdom, he doesn't push people out because they have sin. He welcomes them in and changes them. All of that nature that's in us, like the wolf and the lamb, right? The lion and the calf. Those, all that nature goes away when Jesus takes over. When we allow Jesus to come into us, he makes us all the same. We're all on equal footing with Jesus, and that's how the church should be, is that we come together. And it says a, a child should lead them. I think, like, whenever I get up here to preach for you guys, like, I'm, I'm like a kid. It's not that I'm excited like a kid because I'm nervous as heck, but, like, I don't, I, who am I to be leading anybody? But 
when the Holy Spirit is in me and he tells me to do it and I do it, his leadership comes in and it changes not just me, but whoever his word hits. That was something that blew my mind this week when I read that, that that's how we should be. That the kingdom of heaven should already be happening here among us. And that was God's plan all along. That's why Gabriel was excited to come in and talk to Zechariah. And Zechariah was like, I don't know. (laughs) All right, dude, you just can't talk for a while because you questioned me. So since the fall, everything in the world has been upside down. And Jesus came to flip all that right side up. And here, God's saying through Isaiah, look, I got a plan. All right, I know it's upside down, but my plan's working. Just, Just wait a minute. So Jesus' kingdom is one where death is abolished and things broken since the fall are made new. That's the plan. When we're talking about Advent and Jesus coming and the excitement that we have is because Jesus came to bring his kingdom. He came to bring us these things where all of the brokenness is gone. So let's get back to our story real quick. Gabriel bebops into the temple tell Zechariah, look, we're almost there. All of this stuff that you know, all of these awesome things that God said he's going to do, we're almost there. Almost. And you and Elizabeth get to be an awesome part of it. Like, you guys are huge, right? In fact, so huge, you can't talk for a while. And while he's talking to Zechariah, showing him all of these things and telling him what's going to happen, Zechariah should know all these things. And he even uses some exact scripture from the Old Testament. In fact, it's like at the very end of the Old Testament. So if y'all know where that is, turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. I don't know, I gotta find, I have so many little markings in here. All right, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's exactly what Gabriel said to Zechariah. He's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. All right, I'm going to ask another question so we can dive some more in, guys. Who's Elijah? Again, we're saying these, we've got these names in here and we're talking about prophecies and what's going to happen. So let's talk about who that is. Why is it important that Elijah has or his spirit and power goes before Jesus so if you go back and read the old testament you're trying to find out who Elijah is first kings is a lot of his story so Elijah is one of the very important prophets he's very well known in the old testament so of course Zechariah would have known who he is Um, he did a lot of cool things he raised some people from the dead he called down uh, fire from heaven um, on on an altar whenever he challenged some prophets of Baal a lot of really cool stories one of the things that I found in uh this was from the Lexham Bible Dictionary it was like a very brief description of Elijah and I thought it was so fitting for where we are and what we're trying to get to and even just in studying the book of Luke so this is what it says it says his name means my God is Yahweh or, or the Lord often instead of saying Yahweh so that they wouldn't say the name of God they just said the Lord there you go So, which is fitting since most of his efforts are aimed at proving that the Lord, Yahweh, is superior to the local storm deity, Baal. 
Elijah's miracles and interactions are all geared, listen to this, are all geared toward presenting a proper vision of who God is, with great power over nature, but also with a nurturing and just eye for the disadvantaged. That sounds a whole lot like what Luke's trying to do. And if y'all have been paying attention for the last nine months, like that's the picture that, that Luke is trying to paint of Jesus, right? That he has this great power over nature, but he also is there for the disadvantaged people. All right, so I know I'm like kind of jumping all over the place and going everywhere with these prophecies, but it's important that we dig into this when we read these prophecies that we know what they're talking about, right? We have to, like I had mentioned with the stories about Kyle, if we want to know who God is, if we really want to know who he is, we got to get into all these stories. And that's going to give us more enjoyment uh, of him and who he is. So big picture. Gabriel's telling Zechariah that all the stories, everything that he has spent his life knowing about, or that his life knowing, are about to be more real than the paper they're written on. Right? Gabriel's coming in and he's like, you are about to be a part of it. All of this stuff that you have memorized and read, the reason you burn incense, it's about to be real in your life. All right? You're about to see it. It's going to be awesome. So the plan unfolds. Point number two is that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. All of this stuff in the Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill that. Right? All of this, God revealing himself to us, God showing his people who he is and doing things for them out of love, even when they whine and they miss it and they mess up, he continues to do that and Jesus comes to show what that means. I'm not going to jump ahead in the story too much, right? Because I'm just trying to talk right now about Gabriel and Zechariah. But Jesus comes to earth. And he came in the most majestic, glorious, humble, and lowly way. Jesus came in all the ways the Old Testament said he would, that God said through the Old Testament and the prophets, and yet it was in the most unlikely way imaginable. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but every Christmas we watch The Grinch 75 times or so in our house. I don't know. But it, uh, when I was writing this, I thought about the story of the Grinch because he goes in and... Has everybody seen the Grinch? Uh-huh. Well, I don't want to ruin it. So the Grinch goes in and he steals Christmas from Whoville, right? He takes everything from him. And then whenever he steps back to look in all his glory, he's going to bask in their suffering. Christmas still comes and they get together and they sing. And that's what Satan has tried to do for all these long time, all this, this long history from creation to Jesus coming. He still came. No darkness could stop it. Uh, that, man, I don't know, that's worth celebrating Advent for and getting ready. So he came to right all of the wrongs brought into our world by sin since the fall and to undo the consequences of death. But I want to make this clear also. Jesus' time on earth was not reaction to unexpected brokenness in our world. This is not something that caught Jesus by surprise. His plan was to be the fix all along. The plan was always that Jesus would be the first fruits and the perfect lamb. Will preached on that last week, what those things meant. That was always the plan. So let's, get, let's go back to our Bibles. We're going to continue to kind of hop forward and we're going to mix it up a little bit. So let's go to John chapter 1. John 
is one of my favorite books. I love the way that John portrays Jesus and the things that uh, were meant. Nope, that's not it. Um, I, I love John. John is an awesome book. And we're going to be back there in just a little bit. So let's read John 1, verses 1 through 5. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So, Jesus was with him. Though When it talks about the word here, I, we could do multiple sermons on what the word means here. But it means Jesus. John was trying to reach Jews and Greeks, and the word that he used here, hologos, for the Greek word for the word, meant something in both languages, and it meant something more than just words on a page, and it meant something more than a person. So when he said that, they understood that that was all of the power of God, all of his creative imagination, and all of who Jesus was in one thing. And that was uh, very briefly a tool that John used to reach people. So he's saying God was before everything. So in Genesis 1, we see that God was before creation. And in John 1, we see that Jesus, the Word, was there before that, giving light that darkness could not overcome. So before the fall, before darkness ever crept into every aspect of creation, Jesus was the light. He was the plan to dispel the darkness. Before there was darkness, Jesus was the plan to get rid of the darkness. He knew it was coming. Jesus was always the plan. Always. There is no surprise. There is no darkness that can push Jesus out. He is the light. Let's read that again. Where is it? Verse 5. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And it cannot overcome it. That's always been God's plan. Even though there's darkness and suffering here, Jesus was always God's plan to, care, to take care of it. So he came, or he is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. So all of those things, all of those promises when the Israelites were suffering, when they're going through 400 years of slavery, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they're dealing with all of this stuff because of disobedience and sin, and God's giving them all these glimpses and promises and prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And I want to read a scripture that Will read last week that just kind of continues on with this theme. Um, this is Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. So if you want to turn there or look, whichever it should be up on the screen. Uh-oh, I didn't mark that one. Failing. All right, here we go. Luke 24, 44 through 49. So this is after Jesus was resurrected. He comes and visits the apostles. So verse 44. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I love that verse. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
He's, we've, we've got to know who he is in, this, in these scriptures, and he is the one to reveal himself to us. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Jesus is still giving boundaries and rules. He's telling them to stay. But he's also telling them what's coming in the future. He's promising them what's going to happen. And he's saying, I'm sending you what my father promised. All of these promises Jesus came to fulfill and he's giving it to the disciples. And like Zechariah and Elizabeth and the apostles, God wants us to be part of his plan to reveal who he is to the world. He wants us to join in in that. He wants the world to know who he is. Because, my third point, is Jesus is coming again. So just like the Old Testament is full of prophecies and promises of Jesus' first coming, the New Testament, and even some of the Old Testament, is full of promises of Jesus coming again. Of the, the end of everything. We've got the beginning of everything in Genesis, but we're not yet to the end. But God has told us that he is coming again. So we're just going to really fast. If you don't want to flip, I'm going to flip, but I've got them marked. We're going to read a few of those promises, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. This is just a few that I thought uh, I wanted to share with you guys this morning. So the first one is John 14.3. Again, I'm just going to kind of go through these pretty quick. Uh, there's much more around this, but three is awesome. It says, if I go away, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Now let's go back a little bit to Mark. Mark 13, 32. And I want to point out also the words of Jesus, not just somebody writing. There are a lot of good things about somebody writing, but you want to know who Jesus is? He says a whole lot about who he is in the Gospels. So Mark 13, 32. Now, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angel in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So it's coming, but it's in the future. We don't know yet, but it's coming. All right, let's jump towards the back of the Bible a little more to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.10. Uh, First and 2 Peter have some great stuff on Jesus' second coming and those promises if you want to read that. But let's just do 3.10 for now. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief on that day. The heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. That sounds a lot like a reverse of Genesis, right? We've got all of these things that God did, and he says he's going to undo it one day. All right, and then the last one I want to do is the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 is just verse 20. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We don't know when Jesus is coming, but we know he will because he said he would. So Advent is the time of year when we start with this story about Gabriel and Zechariah. When we focus on how the angels and the humans in the Christmas story prepared for Jesus' coming, I think we should also think about our preparation 
for Jesus coming again. And I wrote that this morning I was going through this, and that sounds kind of daunting that we should prepare. Because when Gabriel came to Zechariah, he was like, I don't know. He's like, all right, you can't talk. But God brought me back. I'm going to read a devotion that I read on Friday. And I do not always remember my devotions. I'm just going to be real honest because I mix them up and I might read two or three one day and I have problems keeping those in mind. But God immediately brought this one back to me. So I, I have to share it with you guys. And then this morning, uh, Will also was just kind of sharing with me about how his week's going to be busy. Last Sunday was busy and we've got somebody coming in to preach so Will doesn't really have to do this. How God gives us rest um, preparation should not be burdensome. Let me say that, okay? So this was in streams in the desert from Friday. It's talking about God giving us rest, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to kind of jump to what, uh, where God brought me. So an eminent Christian worker tells of his mother, who was very anxious and troubled Christian, he would talk with her by the hour, trying to convince her of the sinfulness of fretting, but to no avail. She was like the old lady who once said she had suffered so much, especially from the troubles that never came. But one morning, the mother came down to breakfast, wreathed in smiles. He asked her what had happened, and she told him that in the night she had a dream. She was walking along a highway with a great crowd of people who seemed so tired and burdened. They were, all, they were nearly all carrying little black bundles, and she noticed that there were numerous repulsive-looking beings, which she thought were demons, dropping these black bundles for the people to pick up and carry. Like the rest, she too had her needless load and was weighed down with the devil's bundles. Looking up, after a while, she saw a man with a bright and loving face, passing hither and thither through the crowd and comforting the people. At last, he came near her, and she saw that he was her savior. She looked up and told him how tired she was, and he smiled sadly and said, My dear child, I did not give you these loads. You have no need of them. They are the devil's burdens, and they are wearing out your life. Just drop them. Refuse to touch them with one of your fingers, and you will find the path easy, and you will be as if born on eagle's wings. He touched her hand, and lo, peace and joy thrilled her frame. And flinging down her burden, she was about to throw herself at his feet in joyful thanksgiving, when suddenly she awoke and found that all her cares were gone. And from that day to the close of her life, she was the most cheerful and happy member of the household. Preparation should not be burdensome. If we have a burden that we're carrying and we think it's needle, that we need it, bring it. Bring it to Jesus. Because when he is coming, there should be celebration. There should be joy. There should not be things that weigh us down that make us sad. Now, sorrow comes in the world. We live in a broken world. That's not, I'm not saying that, that we can just do away with all of that. But Jesus doesn't give us heavy things to carry. So when he says we need to be ready because he's coming back, that's not a burden. All right? That's celebration. We need to know who he is because that's what he wants. If we know who he is, then his coming should be joyous. So, there's so much more we don't have time for. I don't even know where I am on time. It's probably really long. I don't know. I don't care. But there's so much more that we could go through. But I'm just going to throw these out there. If you want to know, 
if you want to read some more of those prophecies, if you want to take this and really dive in this Advent season to know why this is so awesome and so important, go, this, this might seem like a lot, Psalms is an awesome place to get some promises and prophecies about Jesus. Isaiah and Jeremiah are two books. They're both really long, and there's both a lot of junk in there. But, right, the seeds are planted in the junk, There's also a whole lot of good promises and prophecies there. A lot of the minor prophets as well, a lot of good stuff. Matthew 25 is Jesus talking about it. Luke 12, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Peter, which we read out of a while ago. And if you're feeling real, real froggy, Revelation. Um, There's a lot of stuff about Jesus that seems a little bit daunting, but we can celebrate because he's coming. So God's plan has been laid out, guys. Sometimes it just takes centuries to see pieces of it unfold. But Jesus is God's plan. That's why we celebrate Advent. Right? Jesus came long ago before he came, sent Gabriel to Zechariah. He's like, hey, go go tell them it's about to happen. But we got to know why that's important. So looking back, we see that before all things and at the end of all things, Jesus was always God's plan and always will be. So I'm going to do one more thing, or I think God wants me to do one more thing, excuse me, before we leave. And for those of you baptisty types, like myself, um, this may seem a little uncomfortable, but God's really been working with me um, with liturgy, and I'm not saying that it's something that needs to be done all the time. I'm not saying that that's what we're going to start, but God is doing that for me in Advent. And I think I've mentioned this before that Like we sing songs all the time that other people write and God can speak so powerfully to them and we can worship God in those things, but a corporate prayer always seems awkward. I don't know, maybe that's just a cultural thing, but God's definitely breaking me of that. So I have a prayer that if you have the handout, I have it in the handout, it's also gonna be on the screen. I want us as a church to read that together and I want us to take these words in and think about who Jesus is, and what we just talked about, him being the plan, that's always how it was meant to be, and we can celebrate in that. So once you guys read this with me, um, I'm going to read it off the paper in case I can't see the screen back there. Um, but let's, let's go through that and really soak this in. And again, it's in the handout. If y'all want to bring it home, I've prayed this several times over the last week since God gave it to me, and it's been so good for me to just think about Advent with this. All right. You got it up there, Luke? All right, let's go. All right, let's start at the beginning. All right. Y'all read with me. Lord God, we adore you because you have come to us in the past. You have spoken to us in the law of Israel. You have challenged us in the words of the prophets. You have shown us in Jesus what you were like, really like. Lord God, We adore you because you still come to us now. You come to us through other people and their love and concern for us. You come to us through men and women who need our help. You come to us as we worship you with your people. Lord God, we adore you because you will come to us at the end. You will be with us at the hour of death. You will still reign supreme when all human institutions fail. You will still be God when our history has run its course. We welcome you 
the God who comes. Come to us now in the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. So I hope today that prayer is kind of your response to hearing of God's plan. Um, And I hope that that helps you celebrate this Advent season with more than um, the normal things. So, all right, let's pray. God who comes, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the revelation of Jesus. Thank you first for the promises of Jesus. God, thank you that from before anything was anything, before time, before all things, your plan was always Jesus. God, and we thank you that at the end of time, your plan is still Jesus. And as we're living between those two, God, we thank you that today your plan for our lives is Jesus. God, help us to see you in this Advent season and help us to celebrate um, as we spend time with family and friends. We love you, Jesus. Amen.